Well, again, my name is Marshall Brown, one of the pastors here, and uh, would love it if uh, you're new to Grace or have just never been to a Welcome to Grace to join us towards the end of February in our home for uh, a Welcome to, uh, to Grace event. Let me pray before we look at um, this passage of Scripture that Susan just read. God, we come to one of the seminal texts of all of the Bible. Uh, in many ways, this passage is a the framing, the map uh, for all of the rest of Scripture. And I pray that you would give us eyes uh, to see that. But more importantly, God, I pray that you would give us hearts to receive it and to live into this story. Would you be with us, Lord, in these brief verses? For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. We are in a uh, sermon series called God's Big Picture. It is an eight-week series, and we're actually going to cover the whole Bible in eight weeks, which is humorous in its own right. Um, We've covered three chapters so far. We've covered one and a half pages uh, of your thousand-page Bible. Uh, We're about to pick up speed. It's going to get faster and faster uh, every week. And just as a little bit of an overview, two weeks ago, Nick preached on the creation accounts in Genesis 1 and 2, God creating everything that we see. And those stories in Genesis 1 and 2 are a beautiful picture of unconditional acceptance and human beings experiencing the fullness of God's presence, the fullness of creation, the fullness of one another, uh, and the fullness of everything. It's just so good, so very good, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 it does go so far to explaining the dignity, the hope, the glory, the beauty you feel within you. But then last week, and I should summarize by saying the summary statement is that Adam and Eve, our first parents, are God's people in God's place, living under God's authority and experiencing God's blessing. But as we looked at last week, Genesis 3 is commonly called the fall. It is the descent of humanity into brokenness and even chaos. Because in Adam, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they sin. They rebel against God. They reject God's authority. And if you were here last week, you saw that there, there are glimmers of hope in Genesis chapter 3. There's actually significant glimmers of hope. There's whispers of redemption. But the major accent of Genesis 3 is brokenness. Security and intimacy are replaced by mistrust and alienation. There is real conflict with real evil. There is pain in childbearing. There's pain in child rearing. There is pain in work. And there are relational strains in every, gener- in every direction with yourself and with everyone around you that are prophesied and sp- spoken forth in Genesis 3. And then, of course, the ultimate uh, penalty for sin and rebellion is death, which we see in Genesis chapter 3. In the next eight chapters of the Bible, Genesis 3 through 11 or 4 through 11, are a descent into the darkness. They're a spiral down. It just gets uglier and uglier chapter by chapter. Genesis chapter 4 is the story of one brother, Cain, killing his brother Abel. Genesis chapter 5 is this catalog of death. It's this list of people, and the refrain is, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. It's so depressing. And then Genesis 6, verses 5 and following, actually are a bit of a summary. Let me quote Genesis 6, 5 and 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humanity was great in the earth, 
and that every intention of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. It grieved him. It grieved God to his heart. Then in Genesis 6 through 9 are the story of the flood where God finds one faithful man, Noah and his family, but the rest of the humankind is destroyed by a flood. So Noah's this great man of faith, right? But then right after that great act of faith, getting through the flood, building the ark, the whole story, what does Noah do? Noah gets drunk and he's passed out in his tent and one of his sons done something that is unnamed but inappropriate. Then in Genesis 11, the people of the earth, in fear and in pride, they attempt to build a tower, the Tower of Babel that reaches to the sky. They're trying to secure their future without reference to God. Which is to say, Genesis 3 through 11 are just downright depressing. Evil is ascendant and it just keeps getting worse and worse. People find themselves alienated from one another, alienated from God, alienated from the created order, and alienated from themselves. Which is to say Genesis 3 through 11 are a picture of anything but God's people in God's place, under God's authority, experiencing God's blessing. Anything but that. And the question really is, the question that Genesis 3 through 11 raises is, how is God going to deal with evil? How is God going to deal with with brokenness. And that's not an empty question, is it? In 2024, how will God deal with evil? You know, in 2024 on the North Shore, there's ways that we can kind of paper over the brokenness of the world and kind of hide from it. We live in a beautiful place, and beautiful places make us susceptible to hiding from the brokenness, although we know it's there. You just have to scratch the surface, and evil doesn't appear apparent. It's easy to forget until it's not. Until it's not. I mean, you have the evil of the past, chattel slavery, the Holocaust, Chernobyl, pick your poison, the evil of war, Ukraine, Gaza, all, flares all over Africa, the threat of North Korea, China and Taiwan. There's the brokenness, the scourge of cancer and disease, natural disasters that are anything but natural, the modern slave trade exploitation of children, and then closer to home, the reality of broken relationships, hatred within homes, lost friendships, and then on the inside, the evil impulses that lurk in every human breast. And my contention, though, my contention, though, is that God's answer to the evil and the brokenness of the world, God's answer to evil, and I'm echoing N.T. right here, God's answer to evil and brokenness is the call to Abram here in Genesis chapter 12. God's answer to the problem and the ugliness of Genesis 3 to 11 is the call of Abram in Genesis 12. God has chosen to bring healing and salvation through this man. God has a plan. God has a plan. And he calls and chooses this moon-worshipping pagan and his offspring to confront and eventually overthrow the evil in the world, or to say it positively, he calls this man to bring blessing to the whole earth through his descendants. John Stott says that N.T. Wright and John Stott are two of my favorite commentators. John Stott says it this way, it may be truly said without exaggeration that not only the rest of the Old Testament, the whole of the New Testament are the outworking of these promises of God. 
End quote. So today I want to be a little bit more brief. We'll see how that goes. But I want to talk about the plan of God and the faith of Abraham. The plan of God and the faith of Abraham. First, the plan of God. Now remember the promise, the plan. God's people and God's place under God's authority experiencing God's blessing. And it turns out that in and because of Abram, that promise is not dead. Because in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 4, God calls this guy Abram. And he gives him a twofold command. He gives him a twofold command. Look with me in the scriptures. And the first command is go. Leave this place and go where I tell you, Abram. And as you go, be a blessing where you go. Go and bless. Go and bless. And the promise attached to the command is threefold. If you have your Bible, and I encourage you to look with me. Verses 1 Two and three. It's so clear. This is one of the clearest places we see this. Let me read again verse one. Now the Lord God said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Verse one, the land. Verse two, I will make you a great nation, which is to say a people. Verse one, the land. Verse two, the nation, the people. And then verse three, I will bless those who bless you. And him who honors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Land, people, blessing. Genesis 12, 1 to 3 is a restatement of God's plan. God's people. I want this to be, I want you to wake, I want you to be able to come into your bedroom in the middle of the night. I'm not going to do that. But like, I wish I could wake you up in the middle of the night and say, what is this sermon series about? Like, just shake your foot. You're like, you're going to sit up in bed and say, God's people and God's place under God's authority, experiencing God's blessing. And Genesis 12, 1 to 3 is a restatement of that. Amidst a broken world, God is a firman. He, he is reconstituting. He's, he's saying, I will keep my promise. I will keep the promise I have made to my children. And this massive promise and this plan, they stretch throughout all of time and will one day lead to the final defeat of evil when the world will be put to rights. And it will lead to the day when the whole earth, the whole earth will be full of the glory of the Lord. To quote the Lord's prayer, heaven will come to earth. And this massive plan, think about this, this massive plan to reverse evil, to save the world, to bless the entire, so that the whole world will be full of the glory. It starts right here with a moon-worshipping pagan named Abram. Now I want you to think about this plan for just a moment. A couple things I want to say about several things. Three things. First, this plan was not an afterthought. This has been the plan from the beginning of time. If we were to flip to the New Testament, to Ephesians chapter 1, this is what Ephesians says about the plan. That God, Ephesians 1, 4, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Which is to say God knew this was going to happen. God's plans have not been thwarted. He has a plan and it starts with and includes Abram, we don't understand all of this, but there's always been a plan. The second thing about this plan, and this thing is one of the things that moves me most, this plan, it's actually according to God's character, right? Abram is called to obey this command. Listen carefully. Abram is called to obey this command, but this command is a reflection of who God is and what God does. You know, God did not have to create, but he did. 
It's in his nature to spread his goodness. God does not have to pursue us, but he does because it's in his nature to love. And God and Christ did not have to humble himself and become one of us, but he did because that's the kind of God he is, which is to say God is a God who goes, and God is a God who blesses as he goes. And God is telling Abram, be like me. Be like me. Go and bless. You know, we love the little exercise of trying to figure out who our children look like. You know, your child has your spouse's eyes, but has your smile and back and, you know, back and forth. And it's, you know, we kind of, ah, it's cute. But it's even greater. It's even greater when our best qualities, our best qualities show up in our children. And my son, I'm proud of my son. My son is tenderhearted. My son is tenderhearted. He's great with young kids. We are, he's the, like the oldest kid on our street. He's like a big brother to all the street. It's great. He does not get that tenderness from me. <laughs> um, he gets it from my wife, who goes through life collecting stray cats, literal and metaphorical, <laughs> instinctively tender to folks. God is a going and blessing God, and he loves it when his children act like him. But the third thing about this plan, this is a plan big enough for your life. It was big enough for Abram's life, and it's big enough for your life. It's big enough for each individual. Each individual can find your place in this story. This is a story. This is a text that gives meaning and destiny to all of your life, to all of your life. And the best way to see that is to look at the first recipient of this story, this promise, Abram. So let's look at the faith of Abram. He does become Abraham later but he's known as Abram here. Now, again, the commands are go and bless. Go, simple enough, go and bless. Well, we all face obstacles to going and blessing. Here are Abram's obstacles. First, religion. He doesn't, I mean, this is a new God to him. He is a moon-worshiping pagan, right? Then there's a distance when he says to Abram, go. The overall trip, I won't go into all the math and all the cities, but basically it's a thousand-mile trip, which would basically be like walking from right here to Dallas, Texas today. Walking, okay? Except no cars, uh, no interstates, no credit cards, no hotels, no food along the way, uh, no Chick-fil-A. You know, how do you do this? But it's not just the distance. He's going to a people with a different language. He's going to a people with a different customs and a different religion. And they're not, by the way, looking for new neighbors. You know, they're not having a welcoming party, like move to Canaan, okay? And when he gets there, he doesn't have a house or a plot of land that's waiting on him. It will be decades before he even owns a little parcel, a little acre of land. He doesn't own any land. He just shows up. But the number one obstacle to Abram? The number one obstacle to becoming a great nation, a great people group, it says that he's 75 years old in this text, but the number one obstacle, and it's in the verses in chapter 11 at the end, is the barrenness of his wife. How do you become a great people group when your wife has been unable to have children? It appears that she's postmenopausal. And despite all those obstacles, the barrenness, distance, different, all that, all the, despite all, verse 4 is one of the great uh, statements of faith in all the Bible. It's just so simple. This is what faith should look like. And so Abram went, as the Lord had told him. 
What a great statement of faith. Abram went as the Lord told him. He obeyed, he submitted, and he walked into God's blessing and into his own destiny. Now, when theologians talk about faith, and this is getting a little technical, and I'm doing this maybe just for Andrew uh, for his ordination Sunday. No, just kidding. It's for you too. Um, but when theologians talk about faith, they, they break it up into three aspects. They say there's the part of faith that is knowing. You've got to know the facts, right? You've got to know, like, Jesus raised from the, you know, the, the Apostles' Creed kind of stuff. You've got to know the facts. But secondly, you've got to assent to the facts. You've got to say, okay, not only do I know those things, but I actually say, okay, I believe them. I believe they're true intellectually. But the third aspect of faith, and the technical word is fiducia, fiduciary, the will. It is the doing. It is the doing of faith. Because Abram's faith is not just an intellectual knowing, and it's not just an intellectual assent. He literally got up and went. He did something. He did something. Now, Friday night, I made the questionable decision to take my family to Wilmot Mountain to go skiing in the rain. And my wife stayed down in the lodge, and my son and I went skiing. And at one point, I'm not on the tender side, I'm on the pushy side. And I haven't even, she, this is the first she'll have heard of this, uh, but we got in over our heads. I'm, I've been skiing all my life, but my son has not. We got in on a, a run that was a little bit too much for Peter, my son. And, you know, you can watch all the ski videos you want. You can watch the great skiers, Michaela Schifrin and the great skiers, and you know that they've got to lean downhill to control themselves. The steeper it gets, the more you've got to lean into your skis. You can talk about it. You can know that. But when you get on a hill that's too steep with your 8-year-old, you've got to believe it. And you've got to get him to believe it. Lean forward. Because when you look down that mountain, your instinct is right. What's to lean back? That's the worst thing you can do. That's the best way to fall, right? You've got to lean in. You've got to lean into what you know is true, what you've seen. You've got to lean into the promise. Abram leaned into God. He leaned into God's promises, and he went. He went. He went. He went. Now, you may be like, well, if God told me, I'd listen. You know, if God spoke to me, well, here's the deal. God has spoken to you, and he's spoken to me more clearly and more abundantly than he did to Abram. Did you hear that? God has spoken to you more clearly and more abundantly than he has to Abram. And how do I know that's true? Because you have something that Abram did not. You have the word of God. You have the word of God. You're like, well, that's easy, Marshall. Well, listen to what the apostle Peter says. In 2 Peter, in the New Testament, the apostle Peter, actually, he actually heard with his ears... I've never heard the audible voice of God. But he actually heard with his ears the audible voice of God the Father. Not just Jesus, but of God the Father. Right? He, heard G- he heard God the Father say to God the Son, Jesus, you are my beloved Son, uh, you're blessed. You're- he heard that with his ears. And this is what he writes about it. This is 2 Peter 2, verse 18. We ourselves heard the very voice born from heaven. Can you imagine? You're on a mountaintop and you hear the voice of God coming from heaven. We were with him on the holy mountain. But then he says this, the Apostle Peter, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as a light shining in the darkness until the day dawns and the morning star rises. What Peter is saying is I trust the Bible more than I trust what I heard. You have the word of God. So Abram trusts God and he goes. It's such a beautiful story. And that 
trust is a reflection. That trust is a reflection of who Abraham is becoming and who Abram is called to be. Here's what I mean by that. He's trusting and he's becoming who he's called to be. Now, because the command to go and to bless, go and bless, that's an echo. That's an echo of Genesis chapter 1, which says that human beings are called to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, and to have dominion. Which is to say to go and to bless is a description of the job description for a human. That's What's the job description for a human? Go and bless. Now, how many of you, don't raise your hand, you might embarrass yourself, as I'm about to embarrass myself, uh, know the TV series Yellowstone. Yellowstone, don't raise your hand. Um, Yellowstone, it is about a Montana family and their land, who's in charge of the land and what the good life looks like, which is to say it's a story about people, place, authority, and blessing. It resonates. Now, I stopped watching. It got a bit too dark and soap opera-ish for me. I do, if you're a fan of the show, I do have a, fan, a man crush on Rip, one of the characters. If you're laughing, I know you've seen it. I cannot commend the show. But in an early episode, one of the characters who actually is a real estate developer from the West Coast who's come to Montana trying to do his thing, and he says this, humans are a migratory species. Humans are a mi- and we are. We're a migratory species. We move around and we try to improve our lives. You know, there's no lions lying in the savannah right now thinking, how are we going to improve this place? You know, there's no birds thinking, i got to build a bigger nest than my parents or my neighbor, right? But humans, we are hardwired. We are made in God's image to go and to bless. You are made in God's image to go and to bless. Now, there are a thousand ways we pervert this, and our motives are always mixed. But we are called to go and bless, to make a dent, to make something better. Even if it's just, even if you're totally selfish and you're just trying to bless your own life, to go and bless your own life. But this hard wiring to go and to bless is the reason you take chances. It's the reason you went to graduate school. It's the reason you work hard. It's the reason you care about your work. It's the reason that you had and are raising children. Because there's something in you that says, I am meant to go and to bless. And the only real question is, will we do it according to the way God has called us to submit to his authority? Jason Carnes, one of our elders, pointed me to a song by a guy named Andrew Peterson. And the song is called Planting Trees. I love it. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful story. Planting Trees. And the song is about how to do this, how to go and bless. And the image he uses that he builds the song around is the metaphor of planting a tree. You plant a tree and someone else benefits, right? That's what you do when you plant a tree. You plant a tree, but you're not going to be around to see the benefit. You plant a tree. And one stanza talks about a couple who adopts an orphan from Africa. One stanza is about someone who's fighting for the justice for the least of these. There are several stanzas about his wife and how she goes and blesses their children as their mother. But here's the refrain of the song. So many years from now, long after we are gone, these trees will spread their branches and bless the dawn. So long after we are gone, these trees will spread their branches and bless the dawn. Friends, the calling on your life is to go and to bless. Now, we're about to to commission a pastor, a missionary, Andrew Barber. That is likely not your calling. I hope it is for a couple of you. I do think it is for several of you, but it's likely not in the whole room. But you are called to go and bless. 
Lawyers, you are called to file good and just briefs. Academicians, you are called to write good articles and teach well. Investors, to make investments that improve people's lives, that bless people's lives. Students, you are called to study hard. Parents, you are called to pour beauty and truth and love into your children. And all of us are called to be good neighbors and tell our neighbors about the love of God in Christ. That might be as simple as inviting a neighbor to dinner or inviting them to church. We are all called to go and to bless, all of us. But we're going to fail. <laughs> we're not, you're not going to really go and bless in all the ways. And guess what? Neither did Abram. In the very next chapter, he fails to go and to bless. He puts somebody he loves at risk. You will fail. But you see, friends, this promise is not ultimately fulfilled by Abram or by you or by me. This promise and this command are for the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. Because there's that weird, look with me at verse 3, there's this weird line. In you, who? In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He's saying this to a 75-year-old man whose wife is barren and he's a moon How is this going to happen? In you, all The nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, in you is a reference, of course, to Abram's great, 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 great grandson. It is a reference to Jesus who would go from heaven and come to earth that we might be blessed. And that very language of Genesis 12, 3 is picked up in the New Testament. In Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says this. In the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abram, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. Jesus is the fulfillment of Genesis 12. He is the one who goes, who comes to us, and blesses. And because, friends, Jesus has kept the command for us, because he's forgiven your sins, he's forgiven the ways that you don't go and bless. Because he has done that, the call on us is to respond by going and blessing, planting a tree, planting trees that will bless the dawn. May God add his blessing to the teaching of his word. Let me pray for us. Our God, we thank you for uh, this story that you've given us that is about one man and his family, but it's about all of us that we would go and bless. But it's ultimately about your son, the Lord Jesus, who has come and blessed us that we might go and bless. And so, Lord, I just pray that the teaching of your word would penetrate our hearts and that we would walk out these doors to go and to bless. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.